Two years ago today, I was unable to run two kilometers. Not exaggerating. If you know me or were to ask my friends and family, they will tell you. It was painful, really painful. When I say to people that I pronate, they usually think, oh yeah, me too. Until they see my feet and they give me that look that they just witnessed cousin it trying to do the Macarena. From a young age, doctors said that my feet needed to be fixed surgically. And since we never had money, pain and injuries was kind of what I was set out for. Kind of. It was sore just to walk or hike, and this created more of a mental block and limiting myself to the idea rather to be willing to figure it out. Then my wife decided to do an Ironman, and as most of you know, if you go to one of the events as a spectator, you return as a contestant for the next one. And although I would like to say the rest was history, it wasn't. Entering was phase one, and then the therapy, willingness, endurance, and mental breakthrough needed to happen. So in today's episode, I'm going to fast track beyond the journey and just give you my insight that I collected throughout the journey, hopefully assisting you in some way to run, run better, run stronger, or run faster. If you want to know more about the actual journey, you can connect with me and I'll gladly share my encouragement and route that I took to be able to get from running 2k with so much pain to running a 21 kilometer sub 5 minutes a kilometer. After a 90 kilometer cycle, yes, I'm a 70.3 athlete, but I think most tips are something suitable for shorter, the same or even longer distances. So if you guys are ready, then I'm ready. On your marks, set. Here we go. So here is a complete list that I compiled that assisted me to run better, faster and stronger. And hopefully this is something that will assist you. So I've got a 40 point checklist. Now some of these points might overlap and if they do I apologize for that um, I basically just yeah pen down on items that I can think of and I didn't really just go through everything to see you know how can I tweak it so I'm just gonna read through the list uh, from marked from number one to 40 and I'm gonna elaborate on some of it and, and some of it not and uh, hopefully you bear with me and hopefully this is something that will assist you in your running career as a triathlete or just as a runner in general. So number one on my list is strength and conditioning. Now guys, this is something that is super important regardless of your fitness level and strength level currently. Strength and conditioning is something that your coach should incorporate and you should be able to do. I'm not talking about weights to bulk up, okay? It's not about getting there with the biggest muscles or anything like that, but it's really to just condition and strengthening the muscles that you need in running. Because so often we see injuries happening, let's say, on the knee, and it's not because of the knee, it's more about uh, a, a, a weak core or weak hip or anything else, and it just, you know, extends towards the knee, and that's the injury that you're suffering with now. Now, strength and conditioning is something that will really assist you in this. It will assist you in the you know, flexibility of the muscle, the well-being of the muscle, and I'm not going to tell you on, you need to do this amount of reps and this much. I'm not going to tell you on what that should look like. You should speak to your coach, but strength and conditioning is all the way at the top at number one. Number two, together with that, is you need to do hip and spine mobility exercises, okay? This is really important. Guys, especially for you, we do not have the glutes of a woman. There's a reason why we don't wear bikinis, and it might be because of the look in the front, but it's because we don't have the bums to fill those bikinis, okay? Glutes is not directly linked to hip and spine mobility, but it's definitely something that strengthens from that together with your strength and conditioning. And hip and spine mobility helps you to oscillate better, oscillate, well, less actually, and only when necessary. And that's something that really will help you along the way. So hip and spine mobility training is something that is, should be there weekly, if not to an extent daily. Number three, time on trials. Trails, sorry, not trial. Your time on the, the trial will be your trail. <laughs> so time on trails, trail running events gets you stronger, period. So although you're not a trail runner, 
I would really encourage you to speak to your coach to start doing some trail running, other events, uh, not a lot because you need to focus on the task at hand, which is your race at hand, but incorporate one or two or even on a weekly basis, spend just, you know, some 10 kilometers an hour or two in the trails. And um, that is something that really works with your strength. Um, it is, I've, I've started doing it recently and the gains I've got was massive because you do use muscles, you do, yeah, you do tap into those glutes and hamstrings and on the downhills just work with those, with those um, upper legs and everything and you learn how to drive with your knees and yeah, just everything that goes with it is muscles that you strengthen that you usually will not strengthen in, in, in road running. However, it does carry a massive, massive, massive strength component in your road running to run a bit stronger. Then, in contrast to that, number four is track sessions. Track sessions or fartlek sessions, however you see it, however you name it, wherever you're from, that's basically this fast sessions that you do around the track. You can see the pros exercise uh, along the track very often. You should do that as well. So on, part of, uh, on top of your strength running training, you should do speed training as well. This assists with VO2 max development and also assists in your speed work. Now, this can look different. Once again, I'm not going to give you my program, but very often it's running 400 meters or 800 meters at a certain pace, at a very high pace, uh, and trying to be consistent with it. Usually with your fart sessions, the kilometers that you run at the end of the day is not that high, but I promise you, you end up vomiting, which is kind of like a good thing to do that in these sessions, okay? It's the small things that account for it. Don't go and try to run at 21 as fast as you can if you haven't done track sessions to just get the body used to it and to get the drive used to it. Um, that is very, very important. Uh, then stick to your program at number five. Um, and what I really want to emphasize on that is mostly sticking to your program in terms of your coach knows what they are doing. So if they're developing strength work and you see, but it's not the distance that you used to, it's way less, don't try to do more. The same with the speed work. If you are 21 kilometer um, half marathon or marathon racer and you do speed work and you see, but you know, the, the hour session, basically you only ran six Ks, don't try to push that more. Stick to your program. But on top of that, that's very important. Very often, your coach will have recovery sessions or in your sessions, oh, I dropped a glass. I'm not going to re-record that. It's just to show you that I'm a human. Um, very often in those sessions, what will happen is there will be recovery runs or things like that. And what happens is we don't stick to it. We've got this sense of pride that uh, my coach tells me to run in zone one or zone two. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to stick to that HR or that pace because I can do more and everything. That mitochondrial development is super important. Okay, You need to learn how to run slower and that will really account for so much more in a couple of ways. Not only will you develop different aspects of your biological well-being, um, but that also gives you that sense of a different level of fitness. So let's say race day happens, you cramp up at your, at your speed or whatever, then instead of walking, your body is used to run at a slower pace and still find it as recovery, if that kind of makes sense. So you need to stick to your program, really, and not let pride get in the way. Number six is rowing exercises, okay? So when you go to the gym and you need to warm up for anything, whether you're doing strength work, bicycle work, swimming work, doesn't matter what, get on that rowing machine. Um, even if it's just for 10 or 15 minutes, like rowing really builds stamina and it really helps with lung capacity. That is a vital thing that you're going to obviously need when running, okay? You need that lung capacity. So I'm not going to go in the science of it, but research it on your own. Rowing really builds stamina and lung capacity. Number seven, and this is something that on my journey most probably was the most vital thing ever, and this is pistol squats. Okay, I thought I'd give it a separate mention though. So although pistol squats are part of hip and spine mobility, but if your coach decides that it's not, that's fine. Really just make sure that you incorporate this. And what's great about pistol squats is you can do it anywhere. You can sit on your couch and um, the whole idea is just to be at least 90 degree or lower 
um, than that and you stand up and on one foot at a time straight put all that energy in that upliftment work you switch foots or, or legs rather um, and the thing about that is what you need to concentrate on and yeah I'm going to give a bit of a, a tip and an advice and, and you'll notice from my podcast that I don't give coaching advice or nutritional advice I, I maybe scratch on the surface on the topic so that you can talk to it with your coach or your nutritionist or, or whoever I don't believe that I'm your coach and I don't want you to use my material to query your coach's mechanisms or methods or anything like that rather just to Bring in the topic for discussion. So pistol squads, here's some advice that I'm going to give. When doing a pistol squad, it's ideally great if you can do it in front of a mirror or the TV suit should be switched off if you're doing it from your couch so you can see your reflection kind of in the TV. And the reason for that is you need to concentrate to not have that hip collapse. That's the purpose of a pistol squad is to it it comes to that hip mobility and hip strengthening that assist with the alignment and the oscillation later and but the one thing that that really takes away is ankle problems is something that will most ankle problems is because of a collapse um, it will strengthen those muscles it's really good and as i said with pistol squats this is most probably the the one thing if i needed to single out one thing this is most probably the one thing that had the biggest contribution in my therapy in terms of not being able to run two kilometers in being able to run and enjoy running. So pistol squads, even though I'm past the, the, the point of injuries, well, hopefully, or past the point of pain, that's something that I still do. I try to do them daily, but let's be honest, we don't always do it. But it's, it's like when you're getting out of the bathtub, why not do a kind of uh, some tricep dips as you push yourself out of the bathtub? It's the same like this. If you're sitting on the couch, just use a couch as, as an opportunity to do some pistol squads, five or 10 on each side, you know, on top of what you in any case say to do in terms of strength and conditioning and uh, those type of training, that will be uh, suffice. Number eight, nutrition and hydration. Okay, so... A lot of questions out there regarding nutrition. So I set out an episode on what my guidance and feel is regarding nutrition that I think you guys should have a look on. But what I'm trying to say is get your nutrition in order for running, okay, for everything. But this is running specific episode. So especially for running, including your hydration. If you are going to use nutrition and hydration in race day, my firm belief is you need to train with your nutrition and hydration when you exercise. So stop doing an hour or two running sessions without hydration just because you feel you can. You're putting extra unnecessary fatigue on those muscles, especially the recovery. And stop going for a run or anything because you just want to do fat burning. You're not on a fat burning exercise. You are here as an athlete. So you need the proper nutrition to start with. You need the proper nutrition recovery to end it off with. And you need hydration to do it. Now, I'm not telling you to feed yourself like a fish and, and be heavy on your runs. That's not what I'm saying. But take those supplements. Take those water with. Take a sip. Even if you can run a 10K or 21K without anything and it's a recovery run, you're not doing yourself any favor. It's an opportunity to teach your body to use that supplements. And not only that, you are actually recovering them with the micro elements that they need. So nutrition and hydration is something, if you want to run stronger and faster, incorporate it with your training. Then, number nine, the one thing that people always ask on social media, shoes. What kind of shoes do you guys recommend? What kind of shoes do you guys recommend? Now, I want to tell you about people's recommendations, okay? 99% of the recommendations out there, people will give because it's based on what they use or what works for them. And they will diss out any, anything out there that will actually work as well, okay? So when it comes to researching shoes, number one, what works for you works for you. Okay, stop trying to think what the pros are using or if you're used to Nikes and you're used to Nikes. If you want a broader, more widthy shoe, then naturally you're going to look for something more like a New Balance or even a Hoka um, and, and things like that. So there are preferences, that's fine. But if you ask advice on social media and things like that, people are going to give you 
hundreds of thousands of different advice simply because that's what they are using. Okay, so don't go for only personal recommendations and don't only go for reviews. I love watching, for example, I'm not promoting him, or I am, but Seth Demur on YouTube. What I love about him is he's not, to my knowledge, endorsed by any brand specific. He tests out everything. And now when I say test out everything, you need to remember a couple of things. Number one, there are different purposes for the shoes in terms of what type of running are you going to use it for? Not only trail or, 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 or road. No, that's just the broader spectrum. But are you using it for short distance? Are you using it for middle distance? Are you using it for long distance? Then on top of that, are you using it for slow runs? Are you using it for recovery runs? Are you using it for fast runs? So it's kind of like a 3-3. Three, three. So it's kind of like a nine-way scenario on what shoes. And if you are smart, and I'll mention it later on the list again, and, and financially able to, naturally you wouldn't have one pair of shoes for everything, like even the same brand, because there's a specific purpose that you need that for. So before you ask recommendations, first of all, be specific and say, okay, currently I run at this pace and this distance. This is the pace and distance that I want to keep or sustain, just be more energy sufficient, or I want to improve on the distance, or I want to improve on the time, or both. Because then the shoe that you recommend yourself for the, for the current purpose won't naturally be the same that you're going to need later. Okay, so just keep that in mind when doing shoe research. When asking, be more specific. But do your own research to really see the purpose thereof. And, and if you're used to something and something works for you, you kind of stick to it. Okay. Number 10, group runs. Group runs are very important to incorporate with all of this. I'm not saying everything should be done on its own. It's an incorporation on, on top with what you're already using with your coach. Okay, so group runs are important and for various purposes. Group runs often will let you link to a group that's a bit more faster paced so you can actually pace yourself with that. And... In contrast, which is very good, there will be very, you know, very often slower groups out there, which is amazing because you get to do the community, you get to do the recovery, you get to chat, you get to inspire them because naturally you should be the faster in that group. So group runs is not only to go with faster people or, or slower people, it's kind of to do with both. Okay, and it's vital to get the fun back in run. Okay, it's vital to get that purpose and, and everything like that. So I would say incorporate group runs more than you can possibly think. And I'm not talking about steering you away from your personal achievement or goal or hard work in the gym or fart leg sessions or anything like that. And even if you do speed sessions on the track, involve a group because you all can run at your own paces and but still be there together. Okay, number 11 physiotherapy or physical therapy you need that as a runner okay you need someone that is well knowledgeable on how to keep your body fixed don't get to the point and i'll mention it later again where you injured and trying to run past that including physiotherapy or physical therapy from a biokinetic assist or whatever you use it doesn't matter but someone that can assist in the conditioning that they can kind of also be your strength and conditioning coach if if your coach doesn't incorporate with that but someone that will give you tips on how to strengthen things on how to strap on how to yeah just use your body better to not get to the point to injuries and when you get injured they know you from a relational point of view already that they know what you are kind of doing and that kind of speeds up the the process of rehabilitation, okay? If, if, if you go to the doctor and that doctor's been with you from day one, like with everything, past things, everything, that when something happens, they just naturally know exactly like what's your past and, and everything like that. But if you go to a brand new doctor and you need to explain, oh, I had my tonsils removed when I was four and this and this and this and this, it wastes time. They don't see it in perspective and they kind of like need to go back to the drawing board to eliminate certain things to get to the proper point. The same works with physiotherapy and, and things like that. Okay, so um, 
I have a phenomenal physiotherapist. Uh, I'm going to give a shout out to her, to, to Inga, Inga Boota today. So I've got a couple of physiotherapist friends, all phenomenal at their work, really. Um, the specific one that I've chosen is just someone that I've got access to more because we share a friendship circle and everything like that. Even my coach is a, ph- uh, a physiotherapist. He obviously incorporates that with his strength and conditioning, but because he's not locally, it's not someone that I can always go to. However, I go to him with a lot of advice and, and things like that but um yeah just shout up for for good physios out there and i think they need more recognition um and but there's a whole couple of if you ask me now spread where i'm based i'll give you a list of at least five uh, that is just phenomenal uh, at what they do and how they do things okay so moving on number 12 rest days if your schedule says do not run what do you do, team? Let's say it together. We do not run. We need those rest days. Whether you're feeling that you're getting fat, whether you're feeling that you're getting unfit, it's not true. Your coach knows best. Even if you use non-coaching mechanisms like free platforms or free guidance or free programs out there, you will see that there's even rest days in that. Don't try to exert yourself in your rest days or go for anything. If you need to take time off, especially time off running, running is very hard on your body. It's very tough on your body. Then you take that time off. Respect your rest days. And on top of that, number 13, listen to your body and not your mind. Because even though you're going to stick to your program, and I know you will, the reality is, is very often something might happen. You might get a viral infection that you're unaware of. You might be um, have a lack of sleep that your coach is unaware of. That you might have financial stress or family stress, and that puts some fatigue on your body. And you need to listen to your body, see how your heart rate reacts, see how you feel. And I'm not talking about, oh, this was so difficult. I was exerted, but it was a high-paced zone that was the purpose of it. I'm talking about... If you are fit and active to run 10 or 21 Ks or whatever, and you do a recovery run of five or six Ks and your body tells you, hey, 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 something is off, something is different. Listen, do not push through. Speak to your coach, speak to your physician or your doctor. You need to listen to your body, not your mind. Your mind will often tell you this is too hard, this is too difficult, this is too easy, this is too this. No, you stick to your program and you listen to your body. On top of that, number 14, you need to get to know your heart rate zones, okay? We, sometimes the apps that we use, um, they kind of like preset it because they read it. You can edit it. So when you do those FTP sessions or, or speed sessions or anything like that, and you track your heart rate zones, especially with a heart rate monitor belt, a chest strap, not the wrist. Wrist is not always that accurate. However, if you do wrist, then kind of incorporate like, it, it's kind of like maths when you continue with the with the problem, okay? So you made a mistake with an error and you're continuing calculating with that error. So if you used your wrist and you're moving to, to a, a chest strap, you need to revise everything and vice versa as well, okay? Your heart rate zones will look different. But know what they mean and know what the purpose thereof is so that you can understand the... Uh, physiology, the biology, the the training, the everything that goes behind it. Okay, HR zones, heart rate zones are super, super, super important. It's way more important than paces out there, um, because that will kind of show you your VO2 max sets. That will show you how long you can stay at a certain pace, and your paces will differ as the courses differ. So it's not really that effective to go on paces, but rather on on heart rate zones. Number fifteen, this is super important. We get a lot of questions out there. How do I preserve my legs better? Why do my legs fail in a race, etc., etc.? Do brick sessions more often. If they are scheduled in your program, do not skip on these. If they are not scheduled, you need to ask why. And sometimes you're not there yet because you're building on each leg on its own. And maybe even you are just a runner and you're not going to do a triathlon, but brick sessions, guys, are super, super, super important. Now, brick sessions is, can include swim to run, what bike to run, and everything like that. Okay, brick sessions are important. So what I do, even if I don't have a brick session, and let's say I go for a three-hour cycle on the road, I take my running shoes with, and afterwards I just go do a two-kilometer run. 
just a two kilometer because it wasn't scheduled for the day. So I don't want to exert or injure my body, but I want to get that brick feeling. Now, brick feeling, especially bike to run, you need to remember a couple of things. Okay. And I think I'm going to mention it later on when it comes to paces. Yes. I'm going to mention it later when it comes to paces, but let me give it a quick mention just now. Okay. So coming off the bike, you usually coming between a cadence of 80 to 90 RPMs. Okay. That's usually the cadence some people push for like 100 and some people slow, slows it down to 70 depending on conditions. So I would say safely between 80 and 90s is your cadence. That's the, the cadence. So your legs have been cycling at this cadence for two and a half to three hours. Now you go into a run. So naturally your body is used to pushing high cadence and you just want to speed up with that running. Remember that feeling when you first got onto the, to the brick run and or especially in an event and you feel, man, I feel great. And then what happened later on? But we'll speak more about that now. Brick sessions are very, very important. Do them more. Number 16, treadmill work is actually very important. Okay, so there's a kind of like rule out there that says do not spend time on the treadmills because you get injured and etc etc but here's the truth behind it okay i'm not saying you're not going to get injured on a treadmill because you can get injured anywhere but if your strength and conditioning and everything else that i mentioned in your program is fine treadmills do not give you injuries what gives you injuries okay training only on a treadmill then going to the road only for races or once every two weeks like not spending time on the road or trails enough that gives you injuries because your body is used to a flat, um, perfect conditioning surface and an and environment and everything like that. And now, obviously, on the road, even if it's a flat road, you have a bit more of uh, heels, uh, elevation gains, elevation losses. You've got a bit more of oscillation happening. Everything like that, external conditions like weather, um, anything out there. So that brings injuries. That's 100% correct and fine. So I'm not saying only to use a treadmill. But what I'm saying is treadmill work is very important. Why? Because of the mere fact that you are sitting with an environment that you can control. So you can focus on different things. It's not about only getting the kilometers. When you are on the treadmill, focus on the things that you are not able to focus on on the road, meaning you can focus specifically on how heart rates react to paces. You can Focus specifically on your running style, your strides, your techniques, your oscillation, your everything. Okay, so use that for the benefit. Number 17, train in various conditions. When it is cold outside, go train if you are scheduled to train. When it's hot outside, go train when you need to train. Okay? Be wise, put on your sunscreen. That's why I mentioned the nutrition and hydration. And that's why I mentioned listening to your body earlier on. You're not there to damage yourself. But however, race days, weather conditions, especially if you do triathlons in different areas or countries or states, race day conditions can change just like that. Let me do the finger snapping. Just like that. Okay, so learn to train in various conditions. That is super important. Sometimes it's different because sometimes, especially for 70.3 or shorter, you might only need three months of really training. And um, that three months and race day is most probably in the same season. And the weather in that season, like wherever you live, might really not fluctuate that much, might be the same the whole time. Still do it, okay? It means that sometimes you need to go at early morning runs. Sometimes you need to go in the heat of the afternoon. Once again, taking my previous points into consideration. But just learn to that your body can function in various conditions, okay? Number 18 is a plus point that I want to mention just briefly. Um, it's not, there's a lot of scientific evidence. I'm not going to go into that. I'm not going to tell you how to do your nutrition, but beetroot supplements is a great add-on to any nutrition that you currently use, okay? I found beetroot supplements uh, before training 
especially. It stimulates blood flow and blood vessel capacity. Um, a lot of nutrition out there actually uses that. Um, I know sports and science or science and sports, SIS, however you want to say it, they use it a lot. I use 32 GI products. Not all of their products contain it. Some of them do. I usually add them if they don't. Um, just mind on how you add that for the gut feel and the gut intake. But if you train with it and um, it actually gives you that VO2 max and blood flow capacity benefit. So that's something that you might want to look into. It's more on the sense of running faster and stronger actually because if your vo2 max sessions are higher and you can sustain in higher heart rates longer that's how you get faster and stronger at the end of the day um number 19 on top of that and this is my personal opinion is try to steer away from gels only especially when running um and i'm talking about glucose gels okay they are great they work super well but gels you need to understand the purpose and what your body needs. Let me give you a, a, a brief overview. And once again, there's many angles that you can work with it so it does work. And for a lot of you, it actually does work. So um, don't take my nutritional advice for it. Just kind of take what I'm saying and, and just make sure that maybe something triggered it and you never knew it was because of your gels. So if I mention something now and uh, you're using gels, then maybe just go look into it. That's what I'm saying. Okay. So what a gel does, it's it's because it's already a, a very raw concentrated glucose form. You get a very fast glucose or sugar spike. Okay, now from any spike, caffeine, glucose, anything that we know is when there's a spike, there is a crash very short afterwards. Okay, and when we crash from a spike, our muscles usually cramp up, uh, we run out of electrolytes, we dehydrate, etc., etc., and we need to refuel that. So the rule of thumb with glucose is as soon as you use them, and actually you can look onto Morton's site and things like that, when they give you advice on how to use them, they will actually say, guys, if you use this, then like every 30 minutes you need to take another one because you do not want to run on that crash. Okay, so it's difficult to say because carbohydrate drinks and things like that, it's, it's difficult to carry on a run logistically. It's, it's nice to carry a gel. It's easy to carry a gel. You've got that instant energy when you need it. I'm not saying to not use it. I'm saying to just do your nutritional planning to see what's on the road, see if you can possibly steer away from it, especially on a longer course and maybe just use it in your last, I'd say, hour to 30 minutes so that's when it really helps but i'm not going to blab too much about it all i'm saying is if you're cramping a lot and you're using gels or you are just having a sudden energy drop and you're using gels maybe just go look into what the purpose of gels is and maybe not use it as the only option if there are other options available but i'll say on that note, I don't want to offend anyone. I don't mind offending anyone, but I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a doctor. I'm not the expert in the field. I just know kind of like what makes sense to it. I did bring out a, a podcast on nutrition. That's something that you can maybe look into. And I will be interviewing experts to get their opinions on that because the experts, uh, uh, they also bring this out and those are there for a reason. Okay. But if that's your sole thing that you are kind of yeah, reluctant to need to use in a race, I might say that just, yeah, just know that you're going to need some isotonic or you're going to need some electrolytes with that. You're going to need some cramp assistance with that. And the pros definitely comes with cons with, with that. Okay. But there is a place for it. So I'm not saying don't buy it anymore. I'm just saying like, try to not use that solely if that makes sense. Okay. I'm over explaining that. So let's move on to the next one. Uh, number 20, on the topic of um, nutrition and hydration is do recovery drinks 30 minutes after an intense workout. Okay, so recovery drinks, guys, with, with swimming, with running, with everything, scientifically, it's been proven that the best time to use it, and you can even read it at the back of any of your nutrition, the best time to use it is within 30, within 30 minutes after exertive exercises. Okay, so use recovery drinks your muscles need to recover yes but do that 30 minutes afterwards okay very important especially after an intense workout where the muscles were supercharged super worked out and super exerted okay um number 21 different stretches okay stop thinking you shouldn't stretch you should stretch but what type of stretches okay so you get 
two main types of stretches. I'm not talking about this, the stretch types, but more the um, categories that it fall into. And um, I'm just going to mention them in my own terminology, and those are stationary stretches and uh, momentous stretches. Okay, so stationary is that typical where you lean to one side, then you lean to the other side. Momentous is basically where you lean, 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 push, pull, push, pull. Okay, so just think about it for a second. If you do stationary stretches only, you're not activating that muscle to go now into momentous thing. If you do momentums, momentous ex uh, stretches too fast without the stationary uh, stretches, it means that you can, it's like activating that quad or activating that hamstring too fast and was kind of still sleeping and you actually tear your muscle. Okay, so I would definitely say do both. Before your run, start with a stationary exercise to just stretch out that muscles, just warm them up, just rub them and there we go. And then before your run, still just after that, try to move that stationary stretches into a more momentous thing, okay? So that your body and muscles are now being activated into the movement that you're going to use in this exercise. Another FT tip, tip that I'll say is obviously do a warm-up run. And after your warm-up run, actually continue with those stretches especially the momentous ones because now your muscles are all warmed up and you're ready to go um, and you can actually just go and see if you can stretch them a bit better a bit stronger a bit faster and then uh, be ready for your exercise number 22 compare your stats with yourself and not for others i love strava i love the garmin app i've loved every watch app i'm currently running with a huawei not going to recommend it. I'll speak about it later. But the one thing that it does very nice is the statistics that it keeps is, is kind of not bad at all. So I love statistics and it's very important. But the one thing that we do from Strava is we usually want to use that to impress our friends or compare us with our friends. And um, your running pace, technique, style, effort and everything, even if you train with someone for the same race and the same goals is definitely different. 100% different. So do compare your stats, see how you felt, see how you improve. It's something that builds motivation. It's something that, yeah, um, gives you red flags. It's, it's just phenomenal data to, to use, but compare it with yourself and not with others. See how, yeah, make that notes, put in that, uh, RPE levels, everything like that. Like just use it for yourself. And, um, number 23, something that's very important is find the fun in run. If you need to run and run is not fun for you, find the fun in run. I don't like running at all. But my fun in running is running with other people or the speed and strength sets. That's kind of like my fun to see how I improve, right? So it doesn't matter how that looks like for you. It looks different for others. But you need to find the fun in run because there's going to be times when you don't want to continue, especially in a race. That's where you hit the wall. That's the last leg. That's where... Everything else just comes into effect where your mind plays tricks. And the best way to overcome the mind with this is with joy. Okay. Number 24 is something that you need to teach yourself because sometimes you're going to want to use it in a race or sometimes you want to notice if you are using it in a race. And number 24 is learn to empty the tank when needed and when able to. Okay. So... This is something that I found in training that is super important. And not with all the sets, guys. This is super important with fartlek sets or if you do pace running, uh, maybe just on a 10K to see, you know, what you are able to do and things like that. Do not injure yourself, but learn how to empty the tank. Literally that feeling of when you completed that whole diaphragm is so cramped up and you just want to vomit and everything like that. It's not a good place to be. I'm not saying always run with it, but you need to learn how to do it. A, because of race day you might need a couple of seconds and you are actually able to because you in the last kilometer and number b is actually as i mentioned you need to recognize this because if you know the feeling very sometimes external um external implications external everything factors causes you to go into that space without recognizing it because you don't know that feeling so you might notice that uh, 
um, someone is pulling you on the run or the race is you're so close to a PB and you naturally start pushing harder or you didn't train your brick runs very well or whatever the reason is. So you just get to the point where you see, okay, I can't breathe anymore or this is what's happening. So knowing the feeling kind of tells you, wait, buddy, the reason why you're feeling like this is because you're actually em- try or busy emptying the tank. Okay, So that's super important. Number 25, learn to pace yourself, especially with brick conditions. Remember I said I'm going to mention it? I'm mentioning it now. You're coming from a very high cadence. You are all warmed up. You're ready. You start the brick session or your run. You notice, you look at your watch, and you train for a 5.30-minute kilometer. Now you're doing a 4.30 or even a 4, and you think to yourself, wow, I feel good good i feel great have you ever watched a pro coming out of the run or sorry out of the bike into the run for the first kilometer to about 2.6 kilometers i mentioned the 2.6 kilometers a lot that's kind of like the the work zone after that you're just into momentum and and what you train for they discipline themselves to their pace because you naturally naturally coming from a high cadence to a slower cadence naturally your body's able to do way better, 50% better than you trained for. However, this will cost you. You will hit a wall because you didn't train for it. You're not fit for it. Your body's not ready for it. You don't have nutrition for it, hydration for it, nothing for it. You're feeling good, not because of you, but because of science, because of the cadence, because of the power and strength you pedaled at and now you're taking that without any gear nothing to push with only your body you're pushing that on your feet you feel great you're gonna hit a wall so you need to learn how to pace yourself if you trained in something else yes you can go a bit faster in race day but there are limitations to it okay so learn how to pace yourself that will help you run stronger and help you run faster and help you to run without injuries Number 26 on top of that and with the treadmill running and even on the road is you need to practice cadence, strides, vertical oscillation, ground contact time, and everything like that. This will teach you on how to preserve energy, okay? If you do your track sessions, go put down that ladder. Go, put down that ladder. go see on how you need to uh, make shorter strides, if that makes sense, uh, to co- let the foot come below the hip and everything like that, so you don't overstride, um, unless overstriding is kind of your thing. It doesn't matter, but learn how to uh, practice your cadence, your strides, your vertical oscillation. They are great, uh, like the Garmin HR strap um, is something that actually measures ground contact time and vertical oscillation. Um, go compare your stats, see when you're tired what you do wrong, because sometimes you are tired now, your vertical oscillation, you're laying too much forward, your strides are beginning to be too long so you overextend and things like that so it's kind of just to notice these things like work with the data that you have in place number 27 comes with that one of the first things that i mentioned to stick with your um, program is zone two runs are essential most of your runs out there in a week should be zone two runs okay so that's super essential understand the logic behind it understand the purpose behind it and just know that they are super important number 28 try to go for neutral shoes short-term fixes versus long-term strengths let me explain so first of all i'm not talking about the heel to toe drop right that's something that i'm not gonna go too much in um i'm actually going to mention that later but going on to try to go for neutral shoes i'm talking about neutral in terms of non-stability not anti-pronating or pronating shoes and let me explain the short-term fix versus the long-term strengths okay so if you are pronating and anything happens and you've got sore feet or injured knees or whatever because of your pronation or anything like that so what happens is if you go to a biokinetisist, for example, they will tell you to get inner soles or to get stability shoes and things like that because that is what they do for a living, is to get you that immediate fix on things. However, this was me, right? So I'm talking about the tips I gained from my journey. 
So maybe this is something that you don't agree upon. That's fine, but this is what worked for me. So I very soon realized that if I run with a stability shoe, and I'm talking about normal road running conditions, what I'm doing is I'm forcing my body into a position that is not natural for me, meaning I don't walk that way. I don't walk that way in anything else. I don't run that way. But when it comes to the running of the day, I use a shoe or a body position, a body alignment that's something that's completely new to my body. So it might take away the pain then. However, it's definitely going to act on something else later. Because if you think about it, if you now spend time with a new kind of alignment only with those shoes, then when not wearing those shoes on your day-to-day, you are walking opposite again, so your muscles kind of go back to the previous position. And that surely naturally makes sense that it's a short-term fix and long-term problem. So long-term is the route that I took. I realized that my body is used to being placed in a certain position in terms of walking. That's the position that when I run, my body and muscles and alignment will be used to running in. So the problem is not, or the solution is not the shoe. The solution is fixing, strengthening and conditioning my body to be able to do so without pain. Hence why I mentioned pistol squats, strength and conditioning, hip and spine mobility is to teach your body rather to realign itself or strengthen itself or condition itself better so that you are able to run. Doing stability shoes is a short-term fixation that doesn't make sense because it's not going to be carried through into your normal way of living. It's not going to be carried through on how you do your strength and conditioning, etc., etc. So I'd rather say if you have pain and you need to cancel or just you know, put out your event for now, rather go the long-term route and do proper strength and conditioning training, learn your body, do that load bearing, go short, build up gradually till you get to the point where you are like me. I mean, look at the pros, look at Elliot um, running those marathons in world breaking times. Go look at his pronation. He runs with Nikes. I think he does the next percents or the alpha flies. I'm not pretty sure. And you can see his foot is basically pushing on the side. Okay, His body is strained to run in the conditions that his body is aligned with. He doesn't go for other shoes or stability things. Okay, So this is just a kind of like a personal tip. I can go on for days about this matter. So if you want to argue or want to know more or just want to get more... Yeah, practical on my reasoning behind it just reach out and we can gladly chat um yeah about it um then the number 29 deadlift deadlift <laughs> this once again is something that most probably will be incorporated in your strength and conditioning that's fine if not add it okay deadlift but with velocity okay 70 to 100 of max body weight you're not trying to build muscles like Arnie. You're trying to get velocity on the muscles, that quick moving actions. Do it right. Go watch YouTube videos. Watch yourself in the mirror. Don't injure yourself. But that quick movement to put that velocity on the muscles because that is what's going to help you to run faster and run stronger. Incorporate deadlifts. Okay. Number 30. Understand heel to toe drop and stick to it with trail versus road shoes okay so a lot of things out there so a faster running shoe usually not always usually it's got a more of a heel to toe drop okay they are going to about eight millimeters average nowadays okay it's not always the five sometimes i think i run with a five or six but regardless they go for massive heel to toe drops the latest innovation in trail running shoes is um, really decreasing that heel to toe drop so they try to stick to a two or three and in some cases even a zero and that's because of the conditions around you the 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 actual road conditions and trail conditions is so fluctuating that assistance of a heel to toe drop doesn't make sense because your body needs to react to each stride differently 
and way more science than only that. But in overview, that's kind of what it means. So what happens, and we get that a lot, I mentioned go trail running, and if you're smart, you're going to have trail running shoes and road running shoes, but here's the difference, okay. So a lot of people come to me, and uh, I'm not their coach, but they come, I like listening to people's problems. They come to me and say, Dion, all of a sudden, I've got massive, like this stiff, tight um, calf sensation. Like my calves are just, it feels like a balloon that's been inflated to six bars, or I've got a massive Achilles tendon problem, or, or vice versa, going from trail to road. And yes, it is because strength and conditioning it is because it's different um, fields and environments and, and different tracks. And it is because of very other factors. But one of the biggest factors that we forget, it's actually the difference between heel to toe drop. So your road running shoe that you spend most time on is most probably a six, seven, eight, even a five millimeter. Then you go to your trail running shoe being a good trail running shoe, it's way less. So just put your hand on your foot and your other hand on your ankle and just kind of like move or position your foot up and down with just like two millimeters. Just extend it two millimeters to either side and feel what happens to your calf muscle and feel what happens to your Achilles tendon, okay? So what happens is your body is conditioned at an eight millimeter. Now you're going to run with a five millimeter. So naturally you're putting on strain on that Achilles tendon that your body's not used to. Very hefty side note that I want to add on. There's nothing wrong with now go teaching your body to do both, okay? So you just got to do it slower with more load bearing, maybe a bit more walking because you don't want that injury. However, you can get past it. You can do condition your body to do both. All great runners do that. They heel-to-toe uh, millimeter drops doesn't really affect them that much. They maybe feel it for a week, but then they get over it. It's because they did do the load bearing and they did do um, some strength and conditioning for it and got some time on the feet for it. So I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just trying to give you a tip on why you are feeling that sensation. Okay, so here's my rule of thumb that I use to just try to limit this. Okay, so number one is if I look if my shoes, my road shoes, are not injuring me in the sense of giving me that calf stiffness sensation or Achilles tendon, that's the biggest thing that, that a heel-to-toe drop influences. If it doesn't injure me in that way, however, I want new shoes that is maybe carbon-loaded or, or carbon-plated, sorry, or more breathable, or as I mentioned earlier on, I want something more for recovery runs or whatever, my rule of thumb is, is I look to have the similar heel-to-toe drop or the biggest variation I go for is two millimeters. So if I have an eight, I need to look at a six or a 10. Okay, two millimeters anyway around. However, I also need to be mindful that this is going to be most probably a bit sore and different on strain on my body in a good or a bad way that I need to actually just overcome and be mindful to. That is the reason. Not just chuck the shoes out and say, oh, this is baloney. No, the shoes are doing their job. The millimeter to heel to toe drop difference is what's causing the problem. And that is because recovery shoes might be a bit more neutral compared to racing shoes might be a bit more um, of a heel to toe drop. So that's something to mind. Also, when going from a road to trail, know that there most probably will be a massive difference. And with trail, you want to go as neutral as possible with that. Um, and with road speed, you want to go more. So if there's a three millimeter versus an eight millimeter on, on road, you're definitely going to have that sensation. 100% you're going to have that sensation. And you need to understand on how to overcome it. Okay. So just understand that that really does make a difference. So you need to understand what heel to toe drops means and the difference thereof, what impact it has on your body. That's what I want to mention. Number 31 on top of that is um, you need to do some load bearing for those Achilles tendons. Okay. So that might look different. That's usually if you want to go on the treadmill, put it a bit more on an incline. Um, this is greatly incorporated with heel works or trail running works or things like that. Um, you don't want to overextend or overexercise or push through the pain to make it sore. However, you'll see people in the gym putting some weights on their back with a slight incline on their on the on the um, treadmill. 
not necessarily going fast, but going slow and gradually building that up. Okay, so the load bearing part is gradually building that up so the Achilles tendon can be stronger. Although with the strength, it needs to be a bit more flexible as well. So you don't come to the tearing part. It's one of the most common injuries. That one, the calves, uh, stiffness, and then I don't know the muscle name, but behind your knee, you see that a lot of people questioning that. That's most probably one of the biggest three things that, that people um, get that can easily be overcome just by stretching, load-bearing it well, and just training it better. Okay, so just keep in mind too on how to do load-bearing for those Achilles tendons because you don't want that actually to be an actual injury. Um, number 32 is what I mentioned earlier on when it comes to stretching. Uh, Warm-up and cool-down for every run, okay? There needs to be a 5 or 10-minute warm-up. There needs to be a 5 or 10-minute cool-down. Regardless of the session, I'm talking about slow-paced runs just to get that muscle from very high, overworking, momentous movement slowly back into a stationary movement, okay? So that you don't feel that hamstring all of a sudden pulling. Um, this is something that really helps with with muscle well-being and will help you to exercise better and train better so that in essence it has a better result in running faster longer or stronger so remember that like regardless of how you feel warm up and cool down for every single run number 33 relax your shoulders and learn what to do with your arms when you run and you get tired you turn you 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 tend to kind of like put that um strain on your shoulders and become stiff and awkward in your running okay you're not preserving energy at all and you your your diaphragm is beginning to be so tight that your breathing technique is all of a sudden out of the window okay so you need to just every now and then what i do is i just loosen my wrists as i run i shake those shoulders and i be mindful to what i do with my arms in trail running i just let them be all over the places on a downhill um it's very important to understand like your arms shouldn't be stiff there should be a great movement to it a comfortable relaxing movement to it and you should really be mindful as you get more and more tired to not let your your shoulders and try well yeah everything just from the shoulders and back not become stiff or worried or anything like that just relax them and learn how to relax them because that really has an influence on on your running well-being uh, that being said number 34 get a good rhythm um, this is something to train in all conditions, various conditions. Focus on your rhythm, your breathing technique, your inhale and exhale, how your inhale and exhale goes with the strides, with the motion, with the cadence, with the effort, with the pace, with everything. Like you need to not only say, oh, I'm going to have a good rhythm. No, focus on it. Focus on getting a good rhythm, keeping that rhythm. A good rhythm is, I would say, 100% better than a great pace. Definitely. It's more sustainable. It will allow you to gradually increase your paces. We're just going for a fast pace. Even if you train for it and your rhythm is out, you're just going to exert yourself. Okay, so rhythm is super important and learning how to inhale and exhale and how that works for your body, how it responds to your HR zones. Guys, this is why we do treadmill work as well. This is why we do road conditioning work to monitor the data to see how it reacts. Number 35 on that, and this happens especially when you're tired or in bad road conditions. Like, do not overstride or overstretch. Your body is, especially long in the run, has been moving at a specific, I'd say, velocity, I'd say, pace, I'd say, energy sufficiency, I'd say, everything. And just by being tired, sometimes you want to keep the pace and you think by, you know, giving less steps at a higher cadence will be fine. And what happens is you overstride or you overstretch and you can really put that tension on your on your muscles, especially your hamstring and glutes. That happened to me in Ironman at Durban um, where my body was just tired and I thought I want to keep the pace. So naturally I wanted to go more into a jump stride the whole time i needed to give bigger strides and just like that i wanted to go into cramping mode okay so do not overstride or overstretch really focus on that cadence and if your body is tired and you need to lower your speed that's fine but overstriding or overstretching might cost you a lot because running injuries means you are out okay 
uh, number 36, especially when it comes to, to races, but also in training because I'm a huge fan of practicing and exercising with nutrition and hydration, is use cramp supplements prophylactic, okay, before you need this. Do not always have extra cramp um, things for cramping nutrition or hydration with you. That's 100% fine. But the rule of hydration, the rule of nutrition is to use it before needing it, not to use it when you need it. So you can actually, and uh, this is important because you don't want to overhydrate or over um, go on nutrition that ha can have other serious consequences. I'm not saying just suck it up the whole time, but learn where your body needs what. And on a hotter day, for example, every 5Ks on a 70.3 race, I will take in a cramp assault, just like that. I'll have extra, so I know I need four, for example, but that also contains some electrolytes, so I take it into consideration. When I do the Cape Town cycle tour, the Argus, as previously known, which is a cycling event, I notice that the heels that is massive and only later on the, in, the, in the race are basically 20 minutes before that heel I'll take in that so my body kind of already has that nutrition that it needs to just extend into that heel, extend into the power without injury. So exercising and training with it is super important, but understanding and monitoring when you're going to need this, you know your body. That's why you focus when you train is you know when your body, especially in great conditioned circumstances, will tell you, hey, I can't take this anymore, or hey, this is a problem. But also, as I said, be wise on how it reacts on other things because usually the, with any supplemental intake reaction, there's usually a counter-reaction or counterpart there on. So maybe just study up on the science a bit, but this is my advice that I use the cramp supplements not only when I need it, but actually when I think or monitor that I'm going to need it beforehand. Number 37 is learn when and how to cool the engine like a radiator. Okay, so when running, you'll see the pros do it. I'm pretty certain you do it yourself. At every aid station, you'll grab a water for yourself. Grab an extra one and cool your body. Cool your chest, cool your head, cool your legs. Okay, keep them as a radiator. What's very important is you don't really want to cool them down when you are already walking. You don't want to um, get rid of all that lactic acid and simultaneously just cool down, like freeze that muscle because it's going to be very difficult to activate it again should you want to, should you need to activate it again. So I always say like learn your body works like a radiator. Um, it's cooling it down within the, those momentous exercises and training. So it cools uh, the muscle down just enough but not to a frozen point where it's becoming too be inactive and the lactic builds up is just just too high so learn how to do this um, in the run if you're moving i always at one aids every aid station take a extra sachet of water just plug it over my head chest and then my legs as well so it just gets that the whole time but maybe it doesn't work for you like that that's just something i would like to mention number 38 <laughs> this is where all the bike lovers will actually love this comment and um this is really something personal, but if possible, own multiple shoes, okay? This, <sighs> triathlon is expensive, and we all want to do it, but I'm not saying to dig into your child's education fund or break the bank or go out for a loan or saying this is 100% what needed. I'm saying if you're in a financial position to do so, then instead of buying just cool tri bars and computers the whole time, maybe own multiple shoes for multiple purposes as i mentioned have those recovery shoes have those um race day shoes everything like that but the biggest thing is even if it's the same shoes for rotation the biggest reasoning behind that is just think about it from a, uh, a practical point of view so you're sitting with a sponge right take a sponge for example if you push with your hands like doing cpr uh, 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 stay in life the whole time think about the office now just on that sponge the whole time and you do that very hard for two, three hours at a time, naturally saying that sponge will not go into its original place of um, support or full extension directly afterwards. Okay, your shoes are like that. You're putting in 
a lot of effort, a lot of cadence, a lot of speed, a lot of power and velocity into those shoes. So ideally, even though the shoe's soles can go for 400 or 500 miles or kilometers or whatever, the support structure inside needs time to relax and to reset into the, the, the uh, it just makes logical sense. Okay, so if, if you can have multiple shoes for the same purpose, that will be ideal because then you can rotate them. They will last naturally longer, but also the support and the purpose, that carbon plate, that, that sponge, that foam, that flight foam, that support foam, that whatever gets time to reset into the purpose that it was made for. Number 39, never run with an injury ever. Do I need to make it any clearer? Do I need to elaborate? No. Am I going to? To an extent, yes. If you are injured, do not run. Ever. Okay, speak to your coach. Speak to your physiotherapist or physical therapist or whatever you do. Do not run with an injury. And then the last point, number 40, is get mileage on those legs. If you want to run faster and stronger, time will get you there. Okay, it's not about just pushing it all into one day. It's not about skipping those, those um, rest days or anything. Understand that running really is one of the disciplines that needs the most time. Okay, mileage on those legs will get you there. And on top of that, a very extra thing is, you know, when you wake up in the morning sometimes and you just go for that yawn stretch and you just plant your wrists or your hands or squeeze them to just those small tendons and muscles in between, just get them also fixed and relaxed. Do that with your feet, okay? Take off your shoes, just stretch out those feet and just plant them in the ground every single time that you can. Those microfibers, those micro tissues, those tendons, those muscles that you never get to stretch when running, they now get an opportunity to really just relax and not just be so tight and everything. Relax those feet. And um, most of all, guys, recapping on this, have fun when running. All of the best. I hope this assisted you in some way. Please remember to subscribe to our channels, listen to the other content, follow us on Instagram. And thank you for joining in to another episode of Not Yet Much.